Live. Hello and welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. I'm Dave. My name is Chris. How are you feeling, Chris? I'm good. I'm ready to rip. I'm ready to go. You're ready to rock. Ready to rock. So what's up with you? I think you need to start with the Jamie Lee Curtis story before we forget. Why would I forget? It's like the greatest she thing that ever happened. forgot the last episode. All right. I didn't forget. I just didn't know where to put it in. Yeah. Like, I, you know, I was trying to hear about your life and stuff. Yeah. Look at you. You're pushing. I see that you're... Chris's eyes are going to that <laughs> scary place. Uh, um, so, I'll just... Dopey Nation is a pretty funny story, interesting story. I'm working at work, where I like to work. Um, and, and Jamie Lee Curtis was supposed to be on the show, and then she canceled. You ruined the whole story. Why did you do that? <laughs> Go, though. Tell the story. Why would you ruin the story? Why do you think that it's makes a it a better story? Spoiler alert. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, I'm working... I never should have told you the story. <laughs> well, the spoiler alert would come before the spoiler, wouldn't it? Don't you say spoiler alert and then you right. say yeah. so it makes no sense. So you just ruined the whole show. Yeah. Another episode down the tubes. <laughs> but so I'm working and I don't know what I was doing. I'm going from table to table and, and this major D comes up to me. You know, everyone at, at where I work, they cannot say the word maitre D. They say major D. I'm like, dumbass, it's not a fucking major D. It's a maitre D. I say this all day. They're like, yo, get the major D to do it. I said, dude, it's not a major D. It's a maitre D. Are there any non-Dominicans that are on waitstaff? Katie, does Katie say maitre Katie doesn't say major D. No, no, none of the waiters. Only the Dominicans. Yeah, all of the Dominicans yeah. say Major D. Yeah. They refuse to say Major D. <laughs> well, at this point, they probably know what it is. They just like saying it that way. Because it sounds cool to have a Major D. It sounds D. cool. It probably pisses you off a little bit. No, they don't do it. They they do not do it to piss me off. It's like a rap name, Major yeah. D, yeah. or something. Yeah. The Major D. Anyway, so the major, the major D comes up to me, and she's, he says, Did you see Jamie Lee Curtis? I said no, no fucking way, Jamie. Did you wait, at this point? Did you know she was clean? I knew nothing. You, oh no, no, I did knew you know she was in recovery. I, I had an inkling that she was an addict. Okay, you know, I, yeah. I, I wasn't sure because I confused her story with Carrie Fisher's story oh, okay. for whatever reason. Yeah, and um, well, Carrie Fisher's was much more high profile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyway, I was like, no way, and he was like, yeah, you just missed her. She left. And I was like, dude, why didn't you tell me she was here? Yeah. And he's like, what do you care? And I was like, well, maybe she would do my podcast. And he was like, she's not going to do dopey. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, whatever. Yeah. And then and then he goes, oh, I see her on the line. And I was like, holy shit. And there she was, fucking Jamie Lee Curtis, beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful as ever, wearing a business suit with nice thick black glasses. Good shape still. She looked great. She got the short gray hair. Yeah, yeah. but she looked great. And Jamie Lee Curtis was super hot back yeah. in the day. And she still looks... She's still a pretty uh, woman. <laughs> <laughs> she looked great. She yeah. was very attractive. She's an attractive older woman. There were many sure. Spanish guys there that were like, I would still like to fuck her. I've never seen a woman that old that I would like to fuck so bad. But how did they really feel? Well, that's what they said. I mean, I said, and I, said I hear you, yeah. you know? And you're upset because you think this blew our chances of getting Jamie Lee Curtis on the show when she listens no, to this No, no, we're episode. sending this to her for sure. Anyway, so... Right? Yeah. Well, okay. I don't know about hey, Jamie, sending it to Jamie, if you're listening. Jamie Lee. Chris here. We haven't met, but thank you for considering. And didn't you, um, didn't you love... Why don't you tell Jamie Lee your story? The one that you want to tell her what, on the that show? I used to pleasure myself to the scene from True Lies. Say it again. End of story. That's the story. <laughs> End of story. The funniest thing is that I mean, let me just tell the story. So, so she's on the line, right? And um, didn't you say someone said that on the Howard Stern show or some shit? I, I have that's a whole. Well, let me just tell the story and then okay. I'll tell you the story. Um, so she's on the line and I like pull a Bugs Bunny. I run outside. And I just put my own, I stand outside waiting for her, like, all casually. Yeah. Like, I'm like, oh, Jamie Lee Curtis. And she's like, hello. And I said. Wait, she was leaving? Yeah. She was leaving. And I run out the door. So I'm just kind of standing there casually for when she comes out. Yeah. And I'm like, hi, my name's David. I have this podcast. It's called. You led with it right off the rip. Oh, okay. I said, I love your stuff. Yeah. I'm a huge admirer of your work. And I am. I love a fish called Wanda and oh, trading places. Great. Oh, trading places. I, I've never seen Halloween. Me neither. And yeah. I never saw True Lies. But um, True Lies was good. Anyway, so I'm standing there and I'm like, I have this podcast. It's called Dopey. It's on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit. Would you ever consider doing it? And she said, Are you clean? And I said, 
Yeah, I'm clean. I almost two years. Yeah. And she says, I have 18. I am a dope fiend. Yeah. And I said, yeah, me too. And uh, and then I, I take out my waiter pad and yeah. I write down all the information. Yeah. And I give it to her. And uh, she says, I would totally do your show. And I said, terrific. And she leaves. And then um, the I, best part. You want me to take over here? No. You want the emails? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. No, okay. Then so I do go, the emails. That's the then, best part. Then I go inside, and uh, one of the the guy, one of the new assistant managers, comes up to me and he goes, "Man, I love that Jamie Lee Curtis. I used to masturbate to her in True Lies. No, and I, <laughs> he did. And then, see, yeah. yeah and then funny. I and then I and then I text Chris and I'm like. Jamie Lee Curtis said she's going to do Dopey. And he goes, oh, I have a funny story for her. And that was the story. <laughs> and I called him up. I said, what's the story? He said, I used to masturbate to her in True Lies. I used to pause trading places when she would open up oh, her yeah. robe. With Dan Aykroyd when she's going into bed and takes the wig off. Yeah. I remember that scene. And, and when she opens up her – I used to pause that in order to get my dirty business done. Oh, yeah. Okay. So anyways, then – uh, just two days later, right? We get an email. We get a lot of emails that are weird from random people that don't make any sense. So we get an email. And the email is from Jamie Guest. That's like that's all it says from the sender. And it just there's no message. It only says in the subject line, "How do we do this?" And so I just let it sit for a bit. I don't say anything. And then Dave responds and says, "Do what?" <laughs> and then she responds again, and she just writes. Podcast, and then I. And then you say nothing. You didn't say anything, right? No, no. I wrote. I wrote like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> I, after I wrote, I wrote because I thought it was some. Yeah, you thought it was some And then, like, literally, like a, a half a day goes by, or a day goes by, and then I called Dave, and I'm like, "Is that Jamie Lee Curtis?" No, that's not what happened. That's what happened. happened. Hours passed, yeah. and I'm like, I'm making this big ornate meal at home. I'm yeah. cutting up vegetables, listening yeah. to music, and the phone rings. Rings rings the phone rings <laughs> yeah. and it's chris and i said yo and he goes you know that's jamie lee curtis don't you <laughs> yeah. i had just figured when i texted you i just figured it out but the whole time i was like who just when the first message when it said how do we do this and then you said do what and the person said podcast i was like is this fucking idiot asking us how to make a podcast that's what i thought it was too <laughs> yeah. i thought it was some classic dopey nation thing yeah. you know some like that weirdo so then continue who is that weirdo that um Remember the one that would the, the who'd write those crazy things? What are you talking? There's thousands of those. No, the one the one who was like the whisper. person who would write crazy things. No, whisper, and there was the one person. He had all sorts of stuff. It was just really weird emails that didn't Demon make any sense. Stuff? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that. One. I thought it was like that. Yeah. And then I wrote, then I wrote, hey, or I wrote, dear Jamie Lee. Yeah. Oh God, I'm so stupid. I didn't realize it was you. Would you come on the show? And she goes, yes. Uh, when? And I said, Friday. And she said, great. So I'm feeling like a million bucks. I'm super excited. I tell Chris to tell his mom and his sister, and he does, and everybody's super excited. I should know. I should have told him. That was my mom was genuinely excited. Uh, my, my fiance said, this could be your ticket, Dave. Yeah. And I'm just like, wow, blah, blah, blah. And then I sit down to watch one of my favorite shows, Naked and Afraid. I don't know if you guys like that show. Is Love that like show. in the woods? They go to an island yeah, naked and afraid. Yeah. Anyway. That says a lot about you as a and, human being. And I'm just watching Naked and Afraid, and then I look at the thing, and it's Jamie Lee Curtis, and she writes, yeah, I just looked at some of your stuff, and I take my recovery really seriously, and I couldn't make jokes about it. And I write back, and I said, we take our recovery really seriously, too. You know, and we do. Yeah. We do. Yeah. Do we not? We do. We do. Yes. I just said, we're trying to bring people into recovery. You're displaying it comically, but you were falling apart when she canceled. What do you mean? You were not happy about it. I was it. so upset. You were so devastated. I was so upset. I was like... You acted like you didn't care. I was like, but totally, inside no, you were dying. I was not. I was okay with it. I was mostly just upset that I had told my mother that she was going to be on. Dude, it's and because I, you don't care about anything. What do you mean? I care about something. What? I care about someone. You care about one thing <laughs> for now <laughs> until until you decide not to care anymore. That's you not care true. About one I care thing. about a lot of things. Okay, name three things you care about. I care about Blackie. It's my cat. You have a cat. Yeah, in your apartment? No, it's in uh, my parents' house. You don't care. I care about my family. I care about God, my recovery. I care about you, Dave. You don't care about me. I care about you. You do not I care. Really do. You don't care about me. <laughs> All right, so let's wrap this up because we had a call. You cared about Jamie Lee. And then I said, then I write a really good email. Do you remember the email I wrote? I think I should read it. It's so good. 
riff for a second. <laughs> Talk to the Dopey Nation for a second. So you were so upset. I remember trying to. I was literally trying to counsel Dave out of his depression. Oh, I was so upset. On. I was so upset. And then he started doubting everything. He said, "What we do is good, right?" He literally was having this self-reflective moment where he's like, "Should we stop this? Is it bad?" Did I say that? That doesn't sound like me. Is that true? You, yeah. You don't remember getting all reflective. No. Oh, here we go. So Jamie Lee says, yeah, her, her her first email was, how do we do this? And then I wrote, oh, and then I wrote, awesome. Thanks so much. I'll write you on Thursday, 9.30 our time, 6.30 yours. Thanks again. Then this is the big mistake I did. I said, come up with a funny slash uh, yeah. horrible using or recovery story if you want to be prepared. Otherwise, we'll wing it. And she writes, wing it. That was her email. She doesn't have time to write real emails. Sure. So I just write, to try to be like her, I write, Cool. Yeah. And then she writes... K-E-W-L? No, I don't write (laughs) K-E-W-L. Oh, I lost it. Then she wrote... Oh, I don't have what she wrote. Whatever, dude. We got the gist. No, no, no. But then I write... Hold on. Just relax. You're beating a dead horse here. I don't care. Oh, here we go. She writes... Oh, I don't have that one. Where does that come from? What? Beating a dead horse? I mean, do you beat live horses? Maybe it's like some really naughty horse needed a beating, and the farmer who thought that the horse really needed the beating beat the shit out of the horse and kept beating it even, into, though, he was dead. even though it was dead. I was thinking it was like a jockey. You know how he's like... Oh, that, back. that probably makes more sense. <laughs> this is what I wrote Jamie Lee Curtis. We are deadly serious about our recovery as well, but we do a show that laughs a survivor's laugh at our most <laughs> absurd moments laugh. within our addiction. We have helped many people in active addiction to reconsider their using because of our format. Several people who refuse to go to meetings now go because of the style of our show. I understand your position, but please reconsider. We are trying to be of service to all afflicted addicts out there, and I know how much your appearance could mean to them. Dopey Nation. That was heavy. I don't remember reading that. You wouldn't have to tell war stories. It could be all recovery talk. Either way... Thanks so much for getting back to me. I really and truly appreciate it. I think the best line I've ever heard is, we laugh a survivor's laugh. You like that? (laughs) (laughs) You just came up with that yourself? You never heard me say that before? No. That's one of my things about the show. We laugh a survivor's laugh. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, then she writes back, I just can't make a joke out of it. I appreciate the need for laughs. Let's just be friends. How's your friendship going with her? She ignored my last text. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we need to make a phone call. Okay. And then if I wrote, no Jamie- and look what I wrote after that. Friends it is. <laughs> uh, all right, so we had no Jamie Lee Curtis. However, um, we do have a couple episodes ago, we had Dylan on, who's my sponsor. Now we have my sponsor's sponsor on, Tim who was one of the people that was integral in my recovery. He's one of the few guys that like I met. He was the executive director of the treatment center Dave and I uh, went to. And um, he didn't really do therapy, but um, this guy urged me to talk to him. So I started talking to him um, like once a week or so. And he's very smart, but he's also just like I got that sense of like this guy just like gets it. He's one of us. He's like a buffoon, you know, deep down. But more importantly – uh, I thought recovery was something that was just going to have to be like a life endured. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just like, okay, when I finally endured. get clean. Endured. When I finally get clean, it's just like I'm going to have to grit my teeth and bear it. And I saw him and he seemed genuinely happy and I was like, maybe this is possible. And without further ado, we are going to call Mr. Tim. Uh, you remember Tim, right? I do. Yes. Strapping young man. Okay. Older man. Here we go. He's older than us. Yeah, he's like 40. He's close to your age. 46, 47. He's older than that. Isn't he? Yeah. He's older than that. He's in that realm. He's under 50. Christopher. Yo, what's going on, man? How are you, brother? I am good. You are on the air with me and Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Dave. How are you doing? I'm good. Tim, how old are you? <clears throat> old as shit. <laughs> how old is shit? 47. I wow. told you. Yeah, yeah I told right. you. Yeah. I, I always assumed you were much older than that. 
But, but that's just because I didn't want to know how much of a that's loser I was. That's because you were so wise. Who? It's because he's so wise you thought he was old. No, it's because I was so old and I figured this person in such a commanding position had to be much older than me. You know, it wasn't like anything about him. How are you, Tim? <laughs> I'm doing well. Commanding position. Um, I got to say, Tim, I'm super happy you're on the show because uh, your opinion means a lot to me. And I've always had sort of this uh, doubt about what we're doing and whether or not it's like a good thing or not. So it's uh, it's nice to have you on here. Uh, I'm, I'm going to destroy that right now. <laughs> why? 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 You're, you're, you guys are completely irresponsible, and I'm here to shut you down. <laughs> it's about time somebody stepped in. <laughs> Only half of that statement's true. We're completely irresponsible. All right, so tell us the good part and the bad part, in your opinion. The, the good part? Yes. It's it's fucking awesome. Um, I think that you know, working in this field, everybody takes themselves too goddamn seriously. And um, you guys bring to the table something that's really necessary, which is the levity about the insanity of it all. Yeah. We laugh at survivors yeah. laugh, Tim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's the, the ultimate and tragic comedy, right? Right, exactly. The absurd. And, and just the ridiculous yeah. things that we do. Although, like, I, I, had a, I heard a really sad story today about a woman who has a kid and she can't get clean. And, and, like, it's a real sad situation. And I was telling Chris about it and I was like, there's really nothing funny there. You know, it's like all the shit we do... You know, I think when we're at our worst, it's only funny amongst us. You know, it cannot be funny to hear the story if you're not in it somehow. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. And, and the, the part of it that it's what's funny is I'm, I'm thinking about a guy particularly right now um, that I almost recommended he listen to you guys. And then I thought twice about it because he's active. And the as I think we all would agree, the most terrifying aspect of our stories is the, um, you know, it's edutainment. <laughs> right? right, yeah. Right, we we have this ability to educate and entertain one another as long as we're moving towards our recovery. Yeah. And if we're in active addiction, then it actually, it's sexy, right? It can be, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and, and again, if you're in active addiction and you're skidding across the bottom, it's it's almost um, the the levity that we all have is based on the fact that we survived it. Totally. Right? So a person a person who's skipping along the bottom, we hope that the levity catches them and they realize, well, maybe I don't have to keep crashing and burning here. Um, but my fear is always, especially with the younger guys that they see it as a kind of a shot in the arm to keep going. Pun, pun intended. Right. <laughs> no, we've, and we've had that. We've literally, I'd say 99% of the emails we've gotten have all been like, good. Even people actively using, we got emails from guys who say they, li it's like a ritual where they listen on their way to go cop in North Hollywood every day. And, you know, it makes them laugh, but like it, they can't listen to other recovery podcasts when they want to stop. But from what you said, we've gotten a couple emails, ironically two from Arizona, of kids who were like 16, 15, who emailed us and like tell us, they just kind of tell us all the drugs they're doing. And I'm like, well, like, what are we doing here? You know? <laughs> right. And it's good. It's a good, actually, those are the emails where like, I'll actually, like, I kind of write generic responses sometimes a lot, but I'll take some time and I'll write like a long thought out thing, you know? You do? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, there's this girl. I, I, want, I want to see copies. Yeah, I will send you a copy. There's this girl that just wrote us, and she. Wrote, I just want to read this to you, Tim, just so you can hear it. She she wrote us a long time ago, and she was loving the podcast, and she thought it was funny and whatever. And then she wrote, uh, "I have a few episodes left. You guys are still growing great. I would have been finished much sooner, but I had a nice little slip up that lasted for a couple months." 
And as it turns out, I only listen to Dopey when I'm clean. I know I still like and appreciate it when I'm fucked up, though. I think I probably just don't want to hear you guys saying the word recovery multiple times in episode. Ha ha ha. So shameful. Ugh. Anyway, keep up the good work, fellas. <laughs> so, I mean, it's just funny. It's just funny that that, that happens. Yeah, it, I think the thing I love the most about it, and I think the reason you guys are, are getting so much attraction is it's honest. It's You've taken the gloves off. You've taken the smoke and mirrors out of all this. And you're just getting really gritty and honest about this is the reality. You know, if you've lived this lifestyle, you've, you've at least, you know, skirted the, you know, the bowl. <laughs> you, you've hung out on the edge and listening to especially some of Chris's stories. <laughs> you, you maybe haven't gone quite down the fucking tube, but uh, you're certainly circling the drain, you know? And I, I just think that it, it's a necessary voice that, that we have tried to stifle, I think, um, especially in the treatment world. The treatment world has done too much to swing the pendulum in the clinical, uh, you know, sterile in, in environment and taken away a lot of the peer-based model of, hey, man, I know exactly how you feel. I've been there. You know, the Lottie Dottie story, remember that one, Chris? No, what was that? The Lottie Dottie's walking down the street. Um, uh, actually, I, I got ahead of myself. There's a guy, junkie falls in a hole, right? Preacher comes by, throws him a Bible, and says, read that, son, and you'll find your way out. Junkie reads the Bible, can't get out of the hole. Lawyer comes by, says, here's a bunch of legal briefs you should read that'll help you get out of the hole. Reads the legal briefs, can't get out of the hole. Uh, therapist comes by, sits on the edge, and starts talking to him, says, well, with that information that you now know about yourself, you should be able to get out of the hole. Junkie can't get out of the hole. Then here comes Lottie Dottie. Right? Lottie Dottie's a knucklehead, popping down the street, not a care in the world. She's a dude down the hole and goes, yo, what you doing in the hole? He says, <laughs> I'm fucking stuck down here, man. I can't get out. Naughty Daddy goes, oh, shit. I know this hole. And he jumps in. And dude looks at him and goes, you freaking idiot. Now we're both stuck down here. Naughty Daddy says, no, nah, man. I got the steps. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think that, you know, again, that we've, we've seen too much, um, and rightfully so, in many, many ways, of a swing towards this clinical, you know, stale, uh, just really sterile environment where we don't get into the grit. And if we get into the grit, it's, in, it's again, it's in a clinical way, right? It's all about the trauma. All of it, again, I will emphasize, I think it's been very necessary to swing the pendulum in a lot of ways. But we're, we've thrown out the baby with the bathwater by not encouraging more of this real gritty factual we need to laugh at ourselves of just how pitiful and disgusting we became right? you, you get the, the greatest gift of my getting over my shame was realizing I wasn't the only person who lived it right totally there's nothing more powerful than that and the means for identification with other people at least for me was levity it was laughter and it was connecting over certain stories and stuff like that. And like Dylan, the reason I connected with him was because he had these sort of like crazy stories and stuff. And I, I literally like, I, I couldn't get much from other people, even who were part of the tribe that were addicts and alcoholics. I needed this like really kind of fucked up person. And then once I like identified with Dylan and started with you, with other people, like now I can really like get something out of anybody. And they don't even have to be an addict or alcoholic. But there was a period where like, I needed this special type of identification, which happened with crazy stories and a levity. And, and um, that's sort of what we try to do, but mostly, like, we just kind of try to have fun. But, um, but it seems to kind of get at that anyways. And you, you also, like, I think about just you and I meeting and the environment in which, you know, you certainly had your opinion of who I should be. And I tried everything possible to make sure that you understood that your opinion of me did not mean shit. Right? <laughs> tell us what Tim. Tell us about this. Oh, and just so you know, Tim, right before you got on, I spent like a minute saying um, how I knew you, 
okay. and, and those meetings and stuff like that. So I, they're aware of the means, but you can you can elaborate. All right, so I, I'm I'm off the hook on any legal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to have my lawyer read, uh, listen to this before yeah. <laughs> uh, before you post it. So yeah, so Chris came into my office as running the treatment center, and um, I don't remember the very first time, but it basically turned into this ongoing conversation where Chris uh, he pretty much showed up every day had an open door policy and, uh, and he'd show up every day and he'd basically sit down and just start debating with me about whatever <laughs> madness was in his mind for the day. And I would sit there and I would string him along in some ways, in some cases, just like take him down a rabbit hole of my own madness just to see how, how deep I could sink the hook in him. And, um, I'll never forget this one day he just looked at me and he's like, you're, you can't do this. Like you're sitting here laughing. You're literally laughing at me and <laughs> it's so inappropriate. And I was like, dude, but you're entertaining. And that's all you are. You're just purely entertaining to me. Uh, and he's like, you can't say that to me. You can like, you run this place. You can't, that's so wrong. And I'm like, I don't give a shit what you think. This is the best part of my day, listening to you rant and rave about absolutely fucking nothing. Well, that the crux of it was that um, everything in me thought that you were wrong, but there was a piece of me that felt there was something right about it, which is what was helpful. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you had to get down to the bottom of, too, right? You, you had to figure that out. Yeah. Well, he was just testing you. You know, like he arguing. Anything. I just wanted to argue for arguing. Tim, the, the piece of the story that I'm most impressed is that Chris actually sought you out. Yeah. You know, that he wasn't just lying in his bed reading whatever the book you were always reading there. I I was in Mountainside too, Tim. I, I talked to you like one or two times. I, I was I flew pretty well beneath the radar over there though, yeah. so I can't imagine that I stood out. Yeah. But um, I know that Chris uh, usually avoids. People and I mean, he tells stories about when he wouldn't go to group that they would sweep the room and they'd find him in his bed in the closet, and, and then he would they'd be like, that "Okay, closet. go go to yeah. group," and he'd put his shoes on like for oh, twenty yeah. minutes, and then the guy would leave and he'd come back and Chris is in his bed again, and then he'd come back and Chris would be standing in the closet. So the <laughs> fact that he went to your your office to talk, I think that says a lot about you. Uh, well, yeah, well, again, it was part of his own, his own scam. He'd show up in my office because he get a hall pass. <laughs> right, right. All right. Well, right. Hey, Tim, tell us if you if you don't mind if it's if you're right with it. Tell us a little bit about your own trajectory, your own story, your own recovery, using days, whatever. And I'd love it if you told a funny story if you got one. I just remember that mushroom tea story. I don't know why. I love hallucinogenics, so that was <laughs> that was a good story. But if you don't mind, yeah, sharing should a little. I tell, should I tell them our, our hallucinogenic conversation? <laughs> <laughs> Which one? I mean, it's endless. <laughs> You just broke up. I missed half of what you just said. I said, which one? It's endless. There's been there's been many. The, the the ultimate one where apparently you took it as gospel that I gave you permission to go fucking do the hallucinogenic. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how did how did that happen? <laughs> how did that story go? Yeah. Uh, well, it, like Chris said, it was an endless guy. It was probably the crux of our conversation every time he did come to my office was to talk about what's, why are hallucinogenics bad? And, um, you know, Bill Wilson did, um, and, you know, what about ayahuasca and all this great stuff. And so, Tim, yeah, just, so, like just so you know, just, just so you know, I still you know, avoid these conversations because if I talk about it too much, I'll end up being like, they're not bad. I can do that. Right. But continue. Exactly. Yeah, continue. So, I think it was after this is this is definitely after you know your time. You know, this is more when we were we were hanging out at Com Ave or something. Maybe Com Ave didn't even exist at that point. But um, it was. I think you actually called me, Chris, while you were in New York, right? Yeah, yeah, I did a, a few times. Yeah. yeah, and I think you literally, it was almost like a point blank question of, well, should I or shouldn't I? And I think I point blank said to you, if you're will, like I say to anybody based on I don't care what the substance is, if you're willing to live with the outcome, then go ahead. Yeah. 
you know, and that, that really is, that's, I think that's part of my, you know, 12 step upbringing is if you're going to go, go, you know, if you're, if you're really going to go do that extra research, quote unquote, Go, just don't die. You know, that's what I try to say. Well, it's also that leaves the door open to find the answer yourself. If you said either yes or no, that doesn't really help for any growth immediately or down the line, you know? No, exactly. Yeah. And that's why I believe wholeheartedly in, in that approach. And, and, you know, I do a lot of work with adolescent teens on prevention and awareness. And my, my number one message is choose, choose wisely. And whatever you do, don't do fucking heroin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, literally, like that's if you could simplify my message. Yeah. That's it. And if you do, get your ass some help immediately. Yeah. But in, uh, in yeah, your the, time, in your time in the field, do you find heroin to be the hardest thing to work with? It's not that it's hard to work with so much because it's it's cut and dry. It's um, either you're ready and willing and tired and sick enough and the resources are all available for you to be stretched out um, to, to get through the sickness um, or you're, you're still you know, just deeply in, in, indebted to needing it. Right. Right? Yeah. I- so I, I, think it, I think really when it comes, it's, it's more along the lines of the, uh, you know, the toxicity, the, the the fact that people who shoot heroin die. <laughs> yeah. You know, people um, who drink alcohol till they're, you know, 50, they die, you know. People, you know, you know what I mean? Like 16-year-olds shoot heroin and die. Right. That's my big thing. It's, um, and it's the younger. It's it's the 16 to 25-year-olds seem to drop the most. I don't know why. I mean, everybody yeah, dies in heroin, but yeah, it's like... I keep, I keep telling people, my job is to get you to 22. Yeah. Like the guys who I work with who are active users, right? Active, whatever. My job is to get you to 22 because I really believe that's a sweet spot. Maybe 20, maybe 25. But yeah. if they're already talking to me, chances are by the time they get to 22, some of what I've been telling them will sink in. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that has to do with that whole, you know, the brain development and the prefrontal cortex and, you know, uh, executive functioning and all that stuff. What do you mean by the, the sweet spot of being 22? There is some, there's, there's more some breaks. Kind of maturity switch that goes off that I think people begin to, teenagers are no longer teenagers, right? We, we all know that 18 is just a nebulous number. It doesn't mean shit. Right. Um, so the, there's something about that age, 22 to 25, where they finally, I think, become aware of their mortality. Yeah. You know? Um, and I'm saying they as in, you know, like I, I was 22 when I got sober and it seems that I, I meet a lot of 22 year olds. That's probably just that ego association, but I meet a lot of 22 year olds in treatment who are like, yeah, man, I'm done. I've had enough. Yeah. Um, and a lot of 22 year olds who keep going. Yeah. But, but there's, there's something about the reality sets in and, you know, I think, Chris, you certainly know a lot about this. As long as there's resources to keep going, people keep going. Of course. Um, it's right. interesting. The, 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 the breaks part, and this is some, some stuff I've been learning in school, there's actually a biological basis to it. It's pretty cool. It's, um, it has to do they, – they, the theory is with inbreeding, actually. It sounds weird, but um, – so your prefrontal cortex, it develops linearly, right? So it's like – it's a, it's a straight line, right? And then, um, yep. and that's kind of like the brakes. Think of it, you know, it's like being able to put the brakes on things. And um, and then there's a part of your brain, it's the ventral striatum, and that's like your approach, right? It's like basically the, the ability to like go out and do crazy things. And that's almost like a bell curve. And during adolescence until about twenty twenty one, your that part of your brain outpaces your prefrontal cortex. So basically, you're you're hardwired biologically to go run out and do crazy shit. And they think the reason we evolve that way is so you don't fuck your sister and brother. <laughs> it's so you'll leave your, it's so you'll leave your group, you know, you'll leave your, your close group and you'll go to the next group, whatever, you know, to spread the forest the seed. over there to spread the seed. Yeah. So then you throw alcohol right. and heroin into that and you fucking dead. <laughs> 
I once right. I, I once yeah. read a because I I didn't stop doing heroin until I was in my late thirties, yeah. and uh, and I did it straight through. But I mean, I started doing heroin when I was like twenty two, though. So that that throws your whole thing out the window. <laughs> yeah, but you survived. Exactly. You did it for fifteen years, exactly. and you were a maintenance user. You know? Right? Yeah. You no, didn't die. No, I I certainly did not die. But yeah. I remember I would read because I was trying to get clean forever, Tim, like forever, and. Uh, yeah. And I would read all these different articles about how one stops using and when a, a junkie stops shooting dope. And there was one article I read that had a phrase like they age out of it. And it was the only article I ever read like that. But it said at around 35, th- that's where, you know, for the most suspended adolescent people, that some sort of maturity creeps in somehow. And, and I really liked that article. I was like, I'm 35. Maybe, maybe this is going to work for me. And, uh, and, and, and I mean, for me, I think having, I had a kid and I just, I couldn't be that guy anymore. And it just kicked in for me, but I had read something like that and I thought it was interesting. Yeah. Uh, Tim, how did you stop? Wasn't there some and, story where you had an ounce of weed and you were going to sell it and you didn't and it was a turning, yeah, a turning yeah. point or something? <laughs> that's probably too long a story, but... All right, okay, sorry, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. Continue, continue. No, no, it's, it's cool. The, so the, the end game for me was six months living in a house with a bunch of dudes. We were all selling all different kinds of drugs and just total madness. You know, I'll give you a quick, fun, hallucinogenic story there. Um, so I'm like pseudo-dreadlocked mohawk, 6'2", 170 pounds of, maybe 180 pounds of just gross, yellow, alcoholic, coke-fiend, crackhead, um, selling sheets of acid that I'm copping in, um, you know, Sheep's Meadow in uh, Central Park, bringing it back to Fairfield County, and just totally... sucking wind and I can't I can't make a dollar you know because I'm just using everything I can get my hands on and um, so this this whole crew of guys is, is basically you know living off each other the place we, we, we lived in we called it the house of pain and um, so anyway it, it was a shithole and the we would throw these raging dashes and sell tons of drugs and have tons of booze flowing and this one night I uh, I don't know how long I was out there but I had one of those army green trench coats right and uh, I I know kind of like this is this story's been told back to me a few times by people who got sober also from that crew and I kind of based it, I'm remembering it based on them telling it back to me if that makes sense Fire going. We had the we had like seven acres of woods or something. We used to run around with paintball guns and you know real guns and <laughs> freaking giant monster trucks through fucking woods. It was it was like it was a cross between like Mad Max and you know Animal House. Um, <laughs> and uh, so anyway, everybody there's a huge huge crowd around this big bonfire, and out, out literally out of the woods. Walsh emerges with this just fucking insanity. You know, I'm literally a, a, a walking example of madness. And I have an axe in my hand. <clears throat> and uh, I walk right up into the middle of the fire and, like, it goes silent. And I just look around and I go, I don't know if I'm the angel of life or the angel of death. <laughs> <laughs> and I walk back into the forest with the axe. <laughs> so within you know 30 seconds the party's over <laughs> <laughs> you scared the shit out of everybody <laughs> oh my so, god so yeah that, you know my whole thing with hallucinogens was uh, I needed as much of that shit as possible and um, all the other drugs were just the convenience you know um, hallucinogenics though were, were my, my jam um, 
and you know that you were talking about the story about the mushroom tea experiment um so i was living in arizona with a guy i grew up with you know high school he was in school i was just out there squatting and um you know selling drugs to survive and um one day, well, not one day, like for about five days straight, we were coming up with the perfect quote-unquote concoction of mushroom tea, where we were boiling down shrimps and mixing it with alcohol, mixing it with weed, mixing it, you know, with honey, and just trying to find this perfect, what we what we were trying to do, I realize now, is we were trying to come up with the perfect microdose, right? Mm-hmm. And our, our term was feeling froggy, you know, you you wanted to just get to the point where you felt froggy, but you didn't start feeling out of control. <laughs> right. And, yeah, you know, right? That sounds familiar at all. Yeah. And uh, so for like a week straight, we're doing this. And we're, we're doing pretty well because we weren't leaving our fucking apartment. And then this one day we made a really, like, we got fresh rooms. We made a big, fresh batch. And uh, the plan was to go out in the Sabino Canyon, which is about a 15-minute drive away from where we were living. And... Um, you know, the, the deal was we'll, we'll, we'll sip down a couple sips of the tea and then we'll jump in the car and by the time we get to the canyon, it'll kick in. And it was literally one of those deals where we sipped it down and when I opened the door to the apartment, you know, that that epic, famous Hollywood shot of the the long hallway, right? You know, <laughs> you know yeah. fucking takeoff. And I closed the door and looked at my roommate and was like, I can't. We can't get in the car. <laughs> and, he, and he's like, I can drive. I'm like, no, he can't. He's like, yeah, I can. So he goes out the door, runs, literally running to the car, get in the car. He he starts to drive, can't even get out of the parking lot. So this, and he starts having a panic attack. So I'm like, all right, we're already moving. So move over, jump, you know, we trade seats. And then I just start driving. And I still don't have any idea how we actually got to the canyon, but we got there completely losing it the whole way and then we decide we're going to go up into the desert you were feeling more than froggy at that moment <laughs> we were way more than froggy at this point it was like we very much misjudged the dosage <laughs> by no means of microdose right and we get into the desert and we get like up out of the canyon and up into like a little bit of a mesa and this I thought loves this part of it I still to this day don't know if I saw one or two Mule deer or a thousand? <laughs> Wait, what, what we saw? What deer? Oh, deer! <laughs> One or two mule deer, or, or it was a herd right. of a thousand. It could have been either. It really, you know, it, it's that wild yeah. of a spot that it could have been either. Yeah. Um, and you know, we're just kind of chilling, wandering around in the desert, and then at some point we realize, hey, we should go back down. It's getting hot. Let's go for a swim. And I just pick the first animal trail that's heading down into the canyon. I'm like, all right, let's go this way. And he says, no, nah, dude, let's just, you know, no trails. I'm like, we ain't no trails. We're out here, you know, exploring. I was like, no, dude, we're going down into the canyon. And there's a fucking trail for a reason because it's the easiest way there. It's the path of least resistance. So we get into this whole philosophical discussion. And then I have this <laughs> incredible burst of clarity. I could fucking murder him and bury him and nobody would know. <laughs> I mean, it was terrifyingly crystal clear. So you were the angel of death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were not the angel of life in that moment. <laughs> and so, of course, I took the liberty to explain that to him. <laughs> I'm sure that went and over great for him. He took one look at me and he's like, all right, we'll take the trail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was the mushroom tea. That, the mushroom tea uh, experiment ended that day. <laughs> nice. It, it's funny, though, Tim, because it's like, I feel like psychedelic, hallucinogenic stories, like, they're so, they seem so innocent to me. And, like, I know so many guys and women that have done these drugs and don't have my story. You know what I mean? They could do it on the right. weekend, see God, and then go to work on Monday, and they're chilling. Well, I know I know a couple people, and I'm going to temper this with, like, not a lot and not me. Um, I know a couple people who have our story 
and can take them in certain ceremonial spiritual ways. And I, I, I look so hard for those people and then I ignore the masses who are like me who have tried to do it and failed miserably. But there are some that I would say they're 12-steppers or they sober through other spiritual means generally who have uh, a relationship with hallucinogenics that I would say is a positive one. Um, what do you think about that, Jim? Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I, Chris, I think this is part of that convers- one of those conversations, right? Is So, you know, Dave, I don't know how much you know about this, but I've done some uh, training, quote-unquote, in shamanism. And so I... I Seem to be the go-to guy. Oh, that's for, what I did. I did the sweat lodge with you. That's that was my encounter yeah. with you. I <laughs> did you the go. sweat lodge with yeah. you. I was there. Right. Yeah. There we, you go. We were there. So, I was there. <laughs> yeah. So I get I get the question a lot, right? So I'm thinking, you know, and um, and I tell and, so, and people a lot. It's it's funny because most people assume that I've done ayahuasca, and I haven't. And I tell them, you know, I don't have a relationship with mother ayahuasca or grandmother ayahuasca, whatever. You want to call it, and, uh, and you know the first thing I usually tell people is is if you're going into you know Bushwick to, to meet with a shaman, quote unquote, who happens to also be the IT guy for fucking you know McDonald's, um, and you're going to smoke DMT off of a piece of tinfoil, um, and he's going to play a remote drum. I, I strongly suggest. You reconsider. <laughs> yeah, nothing wrong with remote drums, but <laughs> you get my point. Yeah. So, so what I what I tell people is here. Here's the deal. Um, I I have shamanic teachers who are from Peru, from the Amazon, or from the jungle, and I've yet to have a direct invitation where one of those teachers has said to me, "Hey, Walsh, <laughs> you need to get your ass on a plane and get down to the jungle." and spend some time with us. Then um, more, more importantly, spending time with grandmother ayahuasca. So first of all, until I have that invitation, I won't even consider it. Hmm. Second of all, um, if I were to have that invitation, I would make a commitment to fully immerse myself in that environment for an extended period of time. Because as an experiential educator, that's truly my trade. I believe that you have to fully embody and embrace and be as much a part of the, the lifestyle even before you can get into the ritual. Totally. And you got, you got to know as much about the culture as possible. So, and I joke and say that, so that's basically me telling my wife and my kids, see you later. I don't know when I'll be back. I'm going, <laughs> I'm going into the day Amazon. You know? Kim won't like that. And just, just if there are any... Uh, Kim would be fine with it. <laughs> My kids would be okay with it. If there are any uh, Peruvian shamans listening to Dopey right now, if you want to invite Tim down to get in touch with Grandmother Ayahuasca, this is the time to do it. Yeah. I want to say two things. Is that um, based off of what you said, um, that's how I know. I'm like, I can't look myself in the mirror. If I ever start seriously considering taking psychedelics in any capacity, I can't look myself in the mirror and be like, e- even if I went and I joined the Native American church, did something, you know. Uh, Give me a break. I, I, you would not have I, a I, chance. I, I would be doing it for the purpose of taking it, not for something else. So even if you conditioned yourself to believe <laughs> that you were doing it for some sort of enlightenment, it, it, you, you would brainwash yourself, but the prime directive will always be very well within you. Exactly, right. yeah. And that's right. why it's like... And and that, it's the, 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 the end of that story, though, is I have no doubt this is the one thing about my own recovery and what I've learned about myself and that prime directive, I love that, is I will get my ass down to the fucking jungle, right? I've been close. I've actually been in the Ecuadorian jungle, Ecuadorian Amazon and sat with a shaman. But my, I I will get in there. I'll get fully embedded. I'll be running around in a fucking loincloth hunting jaguars and shit. And <laughs> the day will come where the shaman will sit me down and he'll say, you need to go to the fuck home. <laughs> you don't need this shit because you've already been there. Yeah. Right? You, you already you already have these lessons. And what's interesting is the people, of course, who have had an ayahuasca experience, who are in recovery, who have said to me directly, 
it's different Tim, than all the other psychedelics. It is different. It's it is. She is the mother of it. I'm like, great. I believe that for you, absolutely be true. I'm not seeking at that level anymore. I don't. Ha- I don't need it. Yeah. I have profound interactions with. I mean, just this morning, I have my kids. We have this beautiful little piece of property. Anton River runs through it. I grabbed my kayak all the way in I got last night. And I told the kids, follow me down the river until you hit the neighbor's house yard that we shouldn't go into. And then turn around and go back and I'll meet you back at the house. And we're back, you know, back at our campsite, basically. Yeah, next to the river. And as we're down there, um, I harvest a piece of uh, Japanese knotweed and you know, fix it up and give it to my kids to chew on. And the look on their face, because it's the first time they've ever had it, you know, dad just picked something on the side of the river and handed it to us and told us to eat it. <laughs> and it's fucking delicious, right? <laughs> so the look on their face, the, the, the me actually biting into it myself, I have, you know, the, um, you know the sensation you get when you're feeling froggy? Yeah. Right? You know that visceral it's in your fingertips, it's in it's in the back of your mouth, it's in your your the the lining of your chest as you take a breath in. Yeah, just right? coming on kind mm-hmm. of thing. Right. I have that experience. Every single time I have a a connection with the natural world in a way that's really just crystal clear that Nature is such a wonderful, perfect provider. Hmm. Right. So when I have those moments, it's like, you know, sure, ayahuasca. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it's in it's it's everywhere. That's the that's the message for me. Yeah, no, for of me. course, yeah. It's like the psychedelic and believe, switch. And I believe it's I have that capacity because I've had those experiences. Right. I, you know, I believe that the switch was flipped when I had my first experience with psilocybin. That I was aw- I was awoken. Yeah. Bottom line, there was no doubt about it. It was click, lights went on. Holy shit! Reality will never be the same again. Totally. And the and the mo- the, the vast majority of my trips were outside. I, that was one of my like prerequisites. Set and setting, right? You ever read the uh, Marriage Between the Sun and the Moon? Uh, no, but I'm, Dr. Andrew Wheel. Yeah, I read um, the Natural Mind, and he gets really into set and setting in that one yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, to me, that's the whole deal, right? Once you have the flip switch, the switch flipped, then it's all about set and setting. And to me, the perfect set and setting has always been be deep in nature. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Hey, Tim, have you ever heard of the stoned ape theory? I've heard of it. I haven't. I haven't read up on it though. Is that? Um, McKenna? I, maybe. I don't, I don't know if it's Terrence. It's, uh, it's basically some people believe that what sparked consciousness was basically where the apes ate a bunch of psilocybin, and that's what right, made right. us self-aware, and, basically. And, it's, and Terrence McKenna said that uh, psilocybin spoke to him and that it's an alien species. It was spores on a comet. Or, is that him? Yeah, 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 that was from the alien or something like that. Yeah. You know, I'm open-minded, man. I've, I'm open-minded. The funniest thing about all this to me is Chris is like, yeah, set and setting. And for Chris, set and setting is like managing a sober house locked in a room surrounded by bottles of urine. <laughs> That's set and setting for Chris. Right, exactly. That was the day he decided it's a good idea. He's like, yeah, man, nature. Chris is like, it's just so funny to me. I just love that shit. Oh my god, uh, Tim! We're, we're we're already at an hour. This was great, man. I would uh, you should do a part two in a few months or something if you don't mind. Oh, I'd love to. Are you kidding me? Okay, cool. Thank man. you so much, like, Tim. Like I like I said, I think what you guys are doing is phenomenal, and I think that we all need to stop taking ourselves too damn seriously and remember there is a there is a deep healing in our madness, you know. And, yeah. and then our shared experience of that madness. Right on. And it, let's let's face it, right? None of us, not at least us three, wouldn't be where we are if we hadn't fully embraced the twelve steps. Totally. Yeah. From the standpoint of the fact that it was two guys who realized 
it was their shared madness that was going to save them. And the 12 except for in the second part of what you said, is the 12 steps started because people like us found each other and started talking. Right. Oh, uh, dude, and Chris, you'll get a kick out of this. I'll send it to you. Um, kick me your email because I don't know if I have it. But I just rewrote the 12 steps. It's always been a dream of mine. <laughs> like every other fucking <laughs> yeah. idiot addict. It's right? a, as Tim sees it? Uh, exactly. It's uh, <laughs> Adventurers Anonymous. I wrote a piece for Kapalum's blog recently. Okay. And um, it came out really good, so I decided I was going to rewrite the 12 steps from the adventure perspective. Awesome. And uh, if anything sums up, I think the whole thing on you know, psychedelics is my first step is we admitted we were powerless over adventure and with that without it, our lives would become unmanageable. Right. <laughs> I, like right that. I like that. Yeah. You, so, you flipped it. I'll send it to you. I won't go through them all now, but you'll get a kick out For of sure. It. And if you are right, we'll post it on our, uh, on our Facebook or Instagram and stuff. Oh, totally. All right, Tim. You can you can send it to dopeypodcast at gmail dot com. Yeah. And since and if anybody else wants to send anything yeah. to that, feel yeah, free. Yeah. Plug. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. That was awesome to hear you. And and your voice just recalled the our sweat lodge experience that I'd somehow totally blocked out of my memory. But just hearing you you say this stuff, uh, it brought me right back. So I love That's that. That's awesome. And and by the way, I got a lot here. So anytime you guys want to sit. Oh, definitely. Yeah. We should, definitely. We would love to take you up on that. Gobi Nation, Sweat Lodge at Tim's house. Right on. <laughs> All right. Uh, Thanks, man. All right, brother. All right, guys. Keep up the good work. Okay. Appreciate it. Love Later. you, man. Later. Later. Very nice. Tim's awesome, man. I forgot that I went into a sweat lodge with him. How did you forget? That's a pretty big... Uh, I know. How many sweat lodges have you been on? Just one. Yeah, so how do you I just that? couldn't remember like yeah. where my connection with him came from, but it was then. And that mm. was... He was awesome. That was a real... Tim's the, Tim's the man, isn't he? He's one of those people you just... like. You just believe him and you're know, like, you know... It's, he's, and he's, then he's, he's one of us, too. He's you know a man's I mean? man. Both. Yeah. He's a man's man. And yeah. he's an adventurer type he's guy. He's wise, but at the same time, you're like, he's just an idiot like me. <laughs> but that, that was awesome because I, I just liked... His take on the psychedelic experience, and the and again, it was something that Ryan Roy had said: just how psychedelic the world is, with or without psychedelic. He was saying life is psychedelic in his everyday life, you know, without putting chemicals in. But I feel what he's talking about. But he, it, and Ryan Roy, it's different. And, and Tim's big thing is um, get outside. That's what he says: get outside in nature. And I always feel like a hypocrite talking to him because you know me. I'm, I'm just like you. I'm like a city person. You're you know? like, stay inside. In you, yeah. <laughs> stay inside. Stay yeah, inside. Nature I, for you is Central Park. I mean, that's about it, right? I'm starting to enjoy nature at this point in my life. Yeah, I, I think there's other ways maybe to find that. But the truth is I can't really say anything about it because I haven't really done it, you know? And that's one of the embarrassing things is that, like, I know Tim. He's an integral person in my recovery. And it's like I've never really stepped out into nature. You but know. you did out there. You didn't do that the sweat the lodge least. stuff? I never did a sweat lodge. I didn't go hiking much, a little bit. You know what I mean? I mean, I was into yoga. I'll go in a room and do And I, I can really push yoga. I can do that like every day, months on end, you know, or sit in a closet and meditate. And part of that is because, I mean, there's an unhealthy piece where it's like I like to kind of shun, isolate. isolate and shun connection. But then there is a healthy piece of it's like very centering and mindful. And I notice – as long as I couple that isolation with social interactions, I'm more present in those social interactions. But I think it's also funny, though, um, because, yeah, being from a big city, I'm way more comfortable. Well, I'm, I like to have... I like the chaos. I like noise. Outside. I, it doesn't bother me, police sirens. I, I like stuff going on and energy outside my window. You know what I mean? Like, me too. It makes, I, it's comforting. Now I live in this small town, and it's uh, very quiet and very different. And that's why, like, when you were Have saying... You do you like it, or...? I love living with my kid. Yeah. You know? But would you choose to do that uh, by yourself ever? No. 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 Never. No. No. I, I love Manhattan. It's it's me. You know? Um, but that's why when you said your life sucks, when I was on the train, I was like, well, I get to go to Manhattan, and I get to be around a ton yeah. of shit, and then I get to go back to be with my family, which you is nice. You just couldn't... If you found an equal paying job down the street from you, it would be bad for you. Yeah, it would just be fucko city. <laughs> you know, how many fuckos can you be around all the time? You're one of those fuckos now, by the way. No, no, I'm not. My dad, my dad came out to visit us, and I was like, how was the ride on the train? He goes, 
I really don't think much of people who live out here. He started like going off about people Your from dad? Long Island. It was just funny. Your dad is OG. How long has he been in Manhattan? My dad grew up in Queens, but lived in Manhattan for I don't know. He's seventy four. He lived in Manhattan for I don't know. He grew up in Lower East Side, then he lived in Queens for probably seventeen years, and then he lived in Manhattan the rest of his life. You know, huh. but um, and he lives for the city. You know, and I think the same way that we do. But I do like nature, and I do like like the ocean, or like going upstate is nice in the psychedelic experience. I always experience. like it. It's like everything, though. I always I, I enjoy it when I'm there. You don't want to you know go. What the first you don't want to go. I don't want to go, and I enjoy it. And then if I'm there and I'm by myself, and I'm usually find myself in those situations alone, I always wish I was with somebody to share it with. Well, that's very sweet. Mm-hmm. But it makes me think of the time you went down to. Uh, the islands and like you found yourself alone walking on the beach every day not even with your friends yeah and then i started walking on the road and stuff well that's because there was chaos that's when you're like boy boy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, boy. so wait what are we doing we gotta wrap this up Uh, we have stuff we're gonna play the thing on the next one the voice listen i feel like we haven't i'm so happy tim came on we haven't been getting the reviews what the fuck dopey nation we actually lost a review we got it back though we got maybe it's a new one no dude dude read the newest review i I beg of you read the newest review i beg of you dopey nation uh, write us a review on iTunes, please. And maybe... Just please. And if you're in the Dopey Nation, or if you're a dopey listener who doesn't want to be called part of the Dopey Nation, which I could understand, follow us on Twitter. Yeah, and, write and, some and stuff on form, Twitter. And we have a form, Cormac, he's been fucking writing show notes. He copies our one-time he crazy show notes on Reddit. And Last time he really did a half-assed job, though, Cormac. What the fuck? <laughs> no, well, he always just posted. That one time he wrote a lot. But um, Cormac is go on our bleeding Reddit. out of his eyes to, to do stuff for you guys, for us. And I, in fact, I really wanted to play uh, one of his songs. Maybe we'll, you want to close it out with his version of Good So Bad today? I'll give it to you. Um, let's do it in... Uh, the, the most recent one? Yeah. From four hours ago? There's a new one? Yeah, it's a three-star review. Oh, no. Don't read that. Okay, read it. Yeah. Um, All right. No, you won't like this one. No, don't read it. (laughs) You won't like this one. It's a good review, but he singles you out. Which one do you want me to read? Read the one where he singles me out. Which one do you want me to read first, though? Read the one where he singles me out first. Okay. Really good, but Dave, stop interrupting. This is a truly entertaining podcast, and the stories are really good. But every single time Chris starts a story, Dave interrupts many times with asinine comments, and he goes on and on and on. Sometimes it takes five minutes or more before we start hearing the story. It gets a bit annoying. You should take it down a notch or two, Dave. I mean, the stories are some of the best content you guys have. Just respect that a bit more and show some restraint. I know it's in all good fun, but you take it to the extreme. I think this guy should stop listening. Well, he, well, he also probably listening to the beginning. I, I, was, think, I think you should stop now. <laughs> I think you should quit while you're I know ahead. I shouldn't have read it, Dave. so mad. But no, it was the first couple episodes. Listen, the, he's in the beginning. Listen, that, read, read the one before it. Which one? The one that really counts. The one, the, 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 the From re- Manders? I don't know. I heard about this podcast through my local coffee shop in San no, Diego. No, the one after that. There isn't one after that. That was my review. The one where they call me the evil genius behind Dopey. Oh, well, they removed that. <laughs> yeah. That sucks. Uh, what happened to that one? Is that one gone? I think so, bro. That's bullshit. Bro. Okay, let's wrap this up. No, hold on. You just t- you read Manders. What the fuck? Uh, I got to see this for myself. Listen, dude. If you think I interrupt too much, what am I going to tell you? I interrupt too much. The show would be nothing without my interruptions. Oh, you know what you did? Did you upvote it? No. Um, what would the show be if I didn't interrupt? It would be nothing. Well, I wouldn't go that far. But seriously. Yeah, this motherfucker, Joey Ice. What a fucking... Jesus Christ. Yeah, my fucking nice review is gone. Well, maybe I interrupt too much and I'm not the evil genius behind Dopey. How could that review come down? Unbelievable. It's gone. It's gone. My favorite review is gone. Somebody write a review that I'm the evil genius behind Dopey again that saved my fucking week that week. Yeah, you really like that one. Yeah, now it's gone. Oh, well. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Stay strong, Dopey Nation, and toodles. I want to take a walk around the world. I want to...
get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And I want to take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I want to see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I want to be good so bad. want to be so good, so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. And my shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. Shadow's getting smaller and smaller. And it's time to where I stand. And I wonder would they pay it any mind. When I leave this busted city far behind. I'll take the high road however far it winds. Because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I want to be good so bad. want to be good so bad, so bad. I want to be good so bad. Bad desire's all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad. And it's all I ever had. And it's all I ever had. Suckers make me mad and I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had